You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is. Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Eleanor Brown on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's uh, it is heartwarming and touching, and uh, and it's such a pleasure to read. And I know this is going to be a uh, kind of like comfort food uh, of a book for a lot of people. I loved it so much. I know you will too. It's called Any Other Family, and I'm so excited to talk about it today. Welcome to the show, Eleanor. Thank you so much for having me, Hank. I'm glad to be here. I'm uh, I'm excited as well. Um, Eleanor, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? So I was almost late to talk to you because I was looking for a visual aid (laughs) that I still have. So um, I was always an avid reader and I really enjoyed writing. But in sixth grade, I had a teacher who just really encouraged that in me and praised me. And at the end of the year, I wrote a story uh, for some assignment. And it was probably the worst thing I'd written that year. But bless her heart, she still, um, she said something to the effect of, you know, I think you could be a real writer someday. And I, I have such a strong memory of reading that and thinking, really? Like, that's a thing I could do? Um, <laughs> and, um, and from there, you know, I feel like it just... Reading is always going to be my first love, but when I got the idea that I could sort of be part of creating these things, that was really the the beginning of my career as a writer. Sixth grade is such a magical time. What what are you, like 11, 12? Yeah. Uh, just on the cusp of being a teenager and, um, you know, a lot of the kind of childish silliness is is working still its way there. out. Yep, it's still yep. It's still there, but but you're on the cusp of a big life change, it, it, yeah. it feels like. And I've heard so many people say that they had this sort of writing awakening around that same time. There, there's something interesting about that time. I don't I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but but you are you are not alone in having that sort of experience around that time. Yeah, I believe it. I taught uh, seventh grade for years and years and years. Ah, my um, son and, teaches sixth grade English. Oh, he does? Yes. Well, it's funny because, you know, I mean, I would look at, after teaching seventh grade for a few years, you look at the sixth graders and I would just think, they're babies. They're such little babies. <laughs> you know, and they would come to me at the beginning of the year, seventh grade, and they were still little babies. And by the end, they were starting to be, like you're saying, actual fully formed humans. <laughs> Um, but it's that, that point at which I feel like the tunnel vision of childhood starts to open up. And some of that's a little bit, you know, difficult and damaging, but it's when you start to consider more possibilities. So I think it's a super exciting time and it doesn't surprise me at all that, that I'm not the only one. Yeah. So from, from having that, uh, that moment in the sixth grade where you feel like your writing career, um, 
began there or, or mm-hmm. began to begin there, you know, however you yeah. look at it, um, to to publishing your first book. Um, a lot of times we know early on that this is a path that we want to take, um, but life gets in the way and, you know, we we get married and we start raising a family and we have jobs where we have to pay bills and all these responsibilities. But writing always has a way of coming back around and, and knocking on the door again. What, what was that experience like for you? Uh, I never I never stopped writing. Um, it, it was something that I was always passionate about. Um, I. Uh, I kind of did everything for work and I feel like that's the best preparation for becoming a writer. Um, I, my first job out of college, I was a wedding coordinator and you have, I have so many crazy stories from that. Um, And I, like I said, I taught seventh grade and I have even more crazy stories from that. Um, And so I guess it just, you know, there's part of writing that is just about living and being out in the world and having experiences so that you have emotional experiences and thoughts and ideas to draw on. So, um, so it was always something like publication was always a goal that I had. Um, but it was also kind of just about exploring things and figuring out all these experiences I was having. Um, and then my first book didn't get published for a very long time after sixth grade. Um, <laughs> I think at one time I sort of had an ambition to be the next S.E. Hinton, you know, and be have oh, yeah. published my outsiders at 16. Um, but I'm kind of glad I didn't because I, as I said, I just have so many experiences and and so much more emotion to draw on when I did start writing stuff that I thought was actually good enough to put out into the world. It, it's funny that you say that because um, I've met a lot of writers and a few of them have been just phenoms and and wrote amazing life changing novels, you know, in their twenties. Yeah. Um, for most of us, it doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> you know, the, the, we, we need that extra experience and, and, and things to draw upon. And there's writing is one of those careers that, that sometimes it's better to come to later in life than to break in early. Um, right. You know, and, and it doesn't feel that way when you're trying to break in in your twenties and nothing is working. But then when you're in your thirties or forties and you look back and you say, Oh, now I understand why that needed to happen. Um, you said you, you needed more experience to draw from. Is there, was there anything in particular that you can look back on and say, ah, this was, this was one of those life shaping experiences that made me a better writer. Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, I, let me jump back for a second and just sure, touch sure. on something you just said, which I, that I think that it's additionally hard in this culture that fetishizes success in general and early success. You know, all of those like twenty under thirty lists and oh, yeah, and things like that. And it's like, why is that a thing, right? Like, why are <laughs> right. we pushing people? Why are we pushing people to do that? I I met a writer a few years ago at. Um, a book festival in South Carolina named Anna Jean Mayhew. And she published her first novel, which was lovely. And she was 73. And it was like, why, why are we in a rush? You know, why are we 
in a hurry to do this. You're going to get there when you get there. And that's exactly the right time for you to be there. Um, as far as personal experiences, I think I just, I think I had to screw up a lot. Um, and I think I had to reckon with a lot of my screw ups. Um, I had a, an early marriage and an early divorce and um, just, I don't know, was like your normal 20 something yeah. idiot. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, like I love her because she brought me where I am today. Um, but I think that that heartbreak that I caused myself and the, um, all the things that I did that I'm not happy about or proud of anymore, they were something that I could then look back on and be like, well, why are you so miserable, Eleanor? Oh, maybe it's because you made yourself that way. <laughs> and why, why is it that you made yourself that way? So it's just that, I guess it's a combination of stupidity and reflection, right? Yeah. Um, that gets you there. And, you know, God bless, like, the the people who get there earlier there's this there's this novel out right now that everybody's buzzing about i think it's called night beast is that right yeah, but it's yeah. 19 year old former poet laureate and you know god love her i'm sorry that she had such a hard early life um that she had that much heartbreak to write about but great for her that she was able to put it into words but like it doesn't she hasn't gotten anywhere faster there's no prize right um i i I think about this phrase, this saying all the time with my son, who's four, like there's no prize for finishing childhood early, right? <laughs> you know, like if he doesn't learn to read when he's four, who cares? There's no prize for finishing childhood early. And exactly. how many, you know, like young phenoms do we know who just burned out and ended up miserable? You take, it takes the time it takes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think so many people are hearing this uh, from you and that's resonating with them. I, I think um, y your experience is, while it's your experience, um, is not a solitary experience. Right. I, I think that speaks for so many people. We're all idiots. Well, most of us are idiots <laughs> in our 20s. I can't say all, but you know, a lot of us were. I, I know I was I was nodding my head, you know, as you were saying that for sure. <laughs> the key is um, just to be a reflective idiot, yes, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Get to the point in life where you can look back and go, Oh, that that was oh, me. Oh, I, I, I was my, my own worst enemy. Got right. it. <laughs> right. 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 Well, and you're going to continue to be your own worst enemy for the rest of your life. So you might as well learn that early. Embrace it. Yeah. Run yeah. with it. Um, your, your first novel that you published, The Light of Paris. Um, no, first novel was The Weird Sisters. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Weird Sisters. That's okay. Um, uh, where did that book come from? What, what was the, and, and, and you, um, you said you did not publish the first novel that you had written. Did, did I oh, understand God, that no. right? Okay. No. So no. what, what was it about this novel that was different from the things you had done in the bit that I, I love to ask people about this because for so many people, um, the first thing that is published is not the first thing that they wrote, but when they were writing that first thing, um, I, I know for a lot of people that, you know, anytime you're writing a novel, it feels so immediate. It feels so important to you. And, you know, everyone's got to read the story and sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Uh, and, you know, you have to come to the point where, you know, you're able to let go of this story to to then start 
digging up what the next story is. What now looking back on the Weird Sisters uh, versus the novel that came before it that didn't go out to the world, can you see where the growth was in you that that made this book um, sellable and publishable? So. Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, going back to this this question of, like, our rush and of youth, and I will just sort of take a brief tangent, um, but as my father always says, the tangent connects to the circle. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and just say that, you know, again, this, this whole question of, like, success, we're so success-driven, and I wrote this thing, and so everybody has to read it. Well, no, that's not the case, right? I mean, publication is not the end-all, be-all. Like, trust me, I will tell you, publication is not the end-all, be-all. It's just the start start of a bunch of new headaches. Um, <laughs> and uh, and there are wonderful things about it, and that moment of connection, you know, you saying your experience is solitary, but, you know, you're not alone. Sure. Um, I feel like that's, that's the power of writing, right? Um, but you don't have to publish in order to do that. But... So I think about apprenticeships, right? And in olden times, you would become apprentice to a blacksmith and you made your first horseshoe and you didn't run right out and put that horseshoe on a horse, right? Because right. it was probably not a very good horseshoe and you would have made the horse very uncomfortable. Um, and so I kind of feel like there's this apprenticeship period in writing and it's something that you put so much time and energy in and it represents time away from the people you love and other things that you want to be doing. And so it's very hard not to be like, I made a thing, <laughs> pay attention to the thing <laughs> that I made. Um, but your apprenticeship is not necessarily you know, something that you need to share. And so for me, really, it's for everyone else's protection that I don't share the work that I did in my <laughs> my apprenticeship. You know, you said the novel you wrote before The Weird Sisters was published. That would be novels, uh, plural, that I right, wrote right. Weird Sisters was published. <laughs> um, and that was my apprenticeship. And I was um, learning and failing and failing better. And so I guess the difference with the Weird Sisters was that, I mean, one, I had done enough work that I felt confident in my abilities at that point. Yeah. It wasn't just I made a thing, but it was like I made a good thing. And I think that what I have to say in this thing is something that would be beneficial to other people. Right. Um, you know, to connect with. And that was indeed that indeed very much the case with the Weird Sisters. And um, then the other part of it, um, oh, I think I already said the other part of it. Yeah, it didn't, yeah. it didn't suck. Like, <laughs> I wasn't ashamed to send it, to send it out. Um, I spent a fair amount of time on it. And I think that one of the keys to it was that I didn't write it with an eye towards publication. It was kind of like, oh, this is interesting. And this is interesting. And this is interesting. And I'm just going to have a good time doing this. It was just my hobby. It was just something that, that I did for fun. Um, and I'd put in enough wrench time uh, learning how to write a book that it was right. finally ready for other people. I think we we attach um, some some odd um, emotions to writing because writing is um, 
most of the time, most people are writing for publication, and there's a, uh, a almost a, a monetary value that we assign to uh, to our hobby. And uh, oh. I, I remember having a conversation with Brandon Sanderson, the fantasy writer, mm-hmm. one time, and and he had written 13 novels before he ever published his first one. And he, he said, I, I've always found it odd uh, because if we have a – if someone loves to play basketball and they go you know, to their neighborhood gym you know, one night a week or something and they play with all of their friends, we don't expect them to join the NBA. Right, and and right. we're not asking them every week, well, are, you know, are there any scouts looking at you? No, you're, you're going because this is a thing that you enjoy, and, and why can't we um, – do the same with writing. Why can't it be something we enjoy? Um, of course, that you know, you can always publish if you want to, and there's sure. multiple avenues for that now. But it doesn't have to be that way. No, and and I do think you know, and I and I do appreciate the breadth of writers that you have on the show. You know, talking about different ways that they do this because I say this when I was. Um, when I was mentoring writers, you know, I would say, well, here are all the different options ahead of you. Very often um, I would have writers come to me who, who wanted to write memoir um, and memoir is tricky because it's like, I went through this experience and it was difficult. <laughs> um, and I, and really what they want to be say is I survived this, you know, right. and, and they want recognition for that. Um, and I, and I always ask them, it's like, okay, well, the odds of you becoming, you know, Cheryl Strait or Jeanette Walls, like are very, very small. So let's talk about what would make the difference for you. Like, what if you just wrote this thing so that you figured it out? Right. right for yourself or what if you just wrote this thing and you published it in very small format so you could share it with your family and friends so that you feel like you're heard and understood right understanding that nobody's under any obligation to read what you write <laughs> you know no matter how passionately you feel about it but i do i think i think about that all the time you know i mean we we don't go to the dentist once and then say Oh, I've been through this experience and now I now I can be a dentist, right? It's just right. This, this weird thing we have where we're all literate um, and we all have stories to share. And it's really important to be heard, right? It's really important to be able to share and articulate your experiences and to be heard in that way. So I don't want to denig- I don't want to denigrate it, but but I think you're right that this weird capitalist assumption that we have that everything yeah. has to be financial and you know driven by success is kind of sad because I feel like when you're constantly writing, you know, Stephen King talks about writing with the door closed versus writing with the door open. I feel like if you're always thinking about that end result, you're always writing with the door open and that will really damage your work. That's actually probably what I should have said about the Weird Sisters is I finally (laughs) wrote, I wrote the Weird Sisters with the door closed. I love it. Because it wasn't for anybody but me. Um, And I, and I think, I think that's why, I think that's why it was better than anything I'd written before. I'm I'm glad you brought up uh, writing memoir uh, because your new book, Any Other Family, is not a memoir. Let's just put that it's a novel, yeah. mm-hmm. but but I understand that it's influenced by some some real life experiences. Um, one one thing that's interesting about memoir is memoirs are are rarely um, the story of a fantastic weekend that someone had. And let me <laughs> let me just tell you about all the great times we had. Memoirs right. rarely 
mine that sort of emotion. Um, why do you think that is for memoir and, and how, how come it's easier to write fiction, um, around maybe some stories with a, a more positive outcome? We'll just put it that way. Uh, sure. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, any, any story has to have difficulty in it, right? Our cultural yeah. expectation of story, the hero's journey, narrative structure, um, you know, we're going to expect some difficulty because there's just not that much story. In my second novel, The Light of Paris, um, there were a lot of people who said to me, like, I just hated the main character at the beginning. She was so unhappy. I was like, well, of course she's unhappy. Like, she <laughs> it's a journey. It was like, my life is great. I had a super fun weekend. That's the end of the book. <laughs> you know, they have to have somewhere to go. Um, right. I think, you know, memoir is very tricky. Um, I have a, a, another Colorado writer. Her name is Erica Krause. Uh, she's a fiction writer, but she just published a, a wonderful memoir called Tell Me Everything. And she talked about how she'd never written memoir before. Because she'd never had a life experience that sort of very clearly fell into that narrative structure. Right. Um, and then she had this experience and she was like, oh, here we go. You know, there's the beginning and the rising action and the and the, the false climax and the climax and the demo. Um, and so she was finally able to to write it in that way. Um and I, and I think that that's one reason that people struggle a lot with memoir is that they've had some sort of experience, but it's very hard to put it, to fit it within the confines of our cultural expectation of story. Um, and, uh, and in fiction, and then there's like this whole layer of writing memoir that's about being honest with yourself um, and recognizing that you are not necessarily like you're the hero of your own story, but you're not necessarily the hero of everybody else's story. <laughs> um, and that requires an incredible amount of, of personal, you know, insight and objectivity. And then in fiction, you know, you get to make something up. So yeah, any other family was inspired by uh, uh, some, some real life events in my story in my life, but so was the light of Paris. And so was the weird sisters. But the difference in fiction is that I get to take that germ and then grow it into something completely different. Um, why did I say germ? I should have said seed. <laughs> I take that seed and grow it into something, um, something entirely different and new. And I can make it as, as funny or as sad as I, as I want to be. So, so tell us about any other family. What, what is the, um, where do we find these characters when we drop into the story? Sure. So, um, any other family is the story of three sets of parents who become a family of their own when they adopt biological siblings. And uh, at the beginning of this novel, they are going on what. Uh, what they call the first annual family vacation where they're all going up to Aspen, Colorado, all the parents, all the kids um, to spend two weeks together. You know, they say that there's only two stories. People go on a trip or a stranger comes to town. Right. Right. I like um, 
Uh, I like I like a combination of both. I think um, I'm very big on the ship of fools story, so I like to cram everybody together in a confined space and make them <laughs> fight it out for a little while. Yeah, so that's where they all are, um, and then they get a call from the children's birth mother saying that she's pregnant again and she wants to make a plan for adoption and she wants them to choose this uh, expected child's new parents. There's there's so much wrapped up in this story. Um, <laughs> you know, um, adoption is uh, is beautiful and wonderful and to be commended all around. Uh, it also can be very sticky uh, for, for lots of reasons. Um, there are reasons why there are closed adoptions and where the adoptive parents um, just really sever all contact with the birth parents and 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 there's no communication there and and a lot of times they they don't even know of the other's existence and and, you Mm -hmm. know um and then there are open adoptions where these all of these people are still in each other's lives and and it's a extremely beautiful thing if that can work um where the the child you know benefits from it and and the all of the parents benefit from it as well and then you add the extra layer of multiple families adopting um, uh, children that are all siblings um, and, and all stay connected. That Where did this idea come from to, to just add layer upon layer of complexity for this family? Well, so this is the fun of writing fiction, right? <laughs> right. Um, <it's- laughs> It started because um, I, uh, I'm i an adoptive mom. Um, my son is four years old. We have an open adoption with his birth parents, with really his entire uh, birth family. Wow. Um, and it's a very open adoption. Uh, we see his, his birth parents regularly. Um, and, uh, and it's really, it, it works for us. Um, and it's wonderful. You know, he's four, so I don't know what the future holds and it's going to sure. be difficult at times in the future. I have no doubt. Um, but family is difficult, yes. which is really one of the things that I, that I write about in this story is like this family has this particular type of difficulty because they are, um, uh, adoptive families, but they are also just family. So um, when I would talk to people about the open adoption, I just got such interesting, uh, I, I just got such interesting responses from people. So, you know, open adoption is, as a norm, is real relatively new. And as you said, it is not always possible or advisable. Right. I mean, sometimes there are reasons where that, you know, a family has had uh, parental rights terminated. Um, sometimes there are reasons to to separate the children. Um, I talk a little bit about that in uh, in the book, like why why it might be better that the kids are not. Necessarily, you know, all, all being parented by the same parents. Sure. Um, but just the responses I would get were so strange because I feel like closed adoption and even secret adoption, right, where kids found out that they were adopted when they were 18 or older and people are still discovering their biological families through Ancestry.com or whatever. 
Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's so complicated. And so people would say sometimes really terrible things. I'm like, I could never do that, you know, or isn't, <laughs> isn't, isn't your son confused about who his parents are? You know, and I'm like, well, are you confused when you spend time, were you confused when you spend time with your parents and your grandparents? No, you have totally different relationships with them, right? right? Um, so anyway, so so I started with just sort of the questions I had about adoption and motherhood and parenting and, um, you know, other other parents that I saw going through these experiences, other people in the adoption community that I talked to. And I just started layering it all together. And when you're writing fiction, you know, basically you're just trying to say, how can I make these lo- people's lives as difficult as possible <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so that they can learn something from it and kind of come out on the other end with some kind of better understanding of who they are and who the people around them are. And so I just kept adding those layers of complexity onto it uh, until I had this very complicated family that I could build a story around. Because um, you are an adoptive parent and they're they're obviously, and I, I have no idea if there are or not, but I would assume that there are situations in the book that have been informed by your real life situations uh in one way or another as you're writing this you know a lot of times uh writing is us kind of working out some things of our own that that play out in characters did 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 you ever have an experience in writing this and and have an epiphany of sorts that that the act of writing allowed you to kind of work through something um I don't know. I don't know that I ever come to answers. Like I always come to writing a book with questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you wind you know, up with more questions answer. at the end. Right, right. So like the Weird <laughs> Sisters, you know, I came to it with this question of sort of like, what what are the forces that shape us? What makes us, what, what makes us tr- into the people we are? And how does family affect that? Um, with The Light of Paris, it was about what's where does your loyalty lie like what's the balance between your loyalty to other people and your loyal your loyalty to yourself um and what does it mean to sort of be honest with yourself and yet take care of other people at the same time and then with this i think i just came with a lot of really ill-formed questions about (laughs) um about adoption and motherhood and I don't know that I came to any sort of epiphany at the end. I think with my books, I tend to come to a sort of peace with things um, where it was like, okay, I thought about these things. I can't tell you after writing the weird sisters, you know, what are the forces that shape us? It's complicated, right? Yeah. Um, and so that, I mean, if I had a, if I had an epiphany at the end of writing any other family, it would be like family's complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think it did. It was very interesting. You know, I talked to a lot of um, other adoptive parents. I talked to adult adoptees. I had some interesting conversations with um, with even other kids, uh, you know, when they would find out that my son is adopted um, and kind of what we would talk about that. So I feel like those things weren't them in there. But as I always say about my writing, you know, people ask how much of this is, quote, real, like how much of this is true. Right. And I say more than I intended and less than you think. <laughs> I uh, like that. <laughs> there's very like there's very little in any other family that is true about um, my adoptive family. Uh, right. and there's so much that's true about it. The um, one set of uh, 
uh, stars of the book, if you want to look at it that way, or the the children, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, that are adopted. Um, but what I really loved about this book is the the glimpse into the way different people parent and yeah. the way that they come to be parents and the way they embrace the role of parenting and how they grow as parents throughout the story. Um, my wife and I have five kids and who are all grown now. Uh, our oldest is um, is the sixth grade English teacher that I uh, told you about. And our youngest, um, it just turned 18. So all, all of our children are, are are grown now for all intents and purposes. But we were very different parents with our firstborn, our, our oldest son, than we are with our lastborn, our youngest son. Uh, you know, we were uh, you, you know, we experimented everything with our oldest son because we didn't know what we were doing. And, uh, and by the time we got to our last, we were, um, either just worn out and tired or <laughs> had, had matured, however you want to look at it. Yeah. Um, so, so we, as, as, you know, a singular couple, um, parenting through five children, uh, that are, you know, all live with us and, um, you know, we we could see our own growth, and it it was fascinating to see these these different sets of parents to these to these sibling the sibling group of children and how they all come to it. That that had to be one of the funnest parts of writing this book was just exploring different types of parenting and how people come to it, and then how they each grow through this experience. Yeah, I, it was it was fun. It was interesting because really what this is about is so I mean there's there's the part that you're talking about which is just kind of learning to be a parent, right? Yeah. Um, and I would say kids, every child in a family grows up in a different family, right? That that oldest child has the experience of being an only child. They are the first. You know, we always talk about how you know by I was the third child, so by the time they got to me, they were like. <laughs> oh, she, she can eat dirt. She'll be fine. Because exactly. they will, right? Exactly. Um, I'm also, but that first I'm one you're running and and, and you, that first one you're running and scalding a exactly. pacifier every time it touches the floor and yeah. Right. The last one you're like, yeah, whatever. They're fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, it won't kill them. <laughs> and and you know there are benefits <laughs> and 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 losses to that, right? Of course. <laughs> um, and so uh. Uh, yeah, but also everybody just kind of brings who they are and brings their baggage with them to parenting. And that is something I think that's very clear in any other family is like, you don't stop being a human being when you become a parent, right? Right. Um, you know, it's like I, like I say when I talk about the Weird Sisters, nobody ever feels like a grown up. You're still just the same broken person trying to do your best um, and trying to help your kids through this experience. So I have Tabitha, um, who's kind of the leader of the parents, and she's very, she's wound very tight. She had this very lonely, only childhood experience. And so she is determined that, uh, the, that they're going to be a real family, like a big, happy family together. And you can guess how everybody else feels about that and how that goes. Um, but, you know, there's a perfect example of trying to work out our we try to work out our own issues on our kids instead of working on ourselves. Right. Um, and then there is Ginger who had this very peripatetic kind of, you know, uh, like 
not not out of control, but she was never in control in her childhood. And so she's very wary of other people and she wants to hold people at um, arm at arm's length. And then there uh, is Elizabeth because this this book, I mean, the, the main characters of this book really are, are the mothers. Um, there's Elizabeth who went through really, really difficult fertility treatments and had a lot of loss. Um, and is still wrestling so much with that, as well as sort of this permanent wound that she carries from being the youngest child in her family, and so always being treated by the like the youngest child. Um, and so all of the the ways that she carries that into her into her parenting. Um, so yeah, it was it was interesting trying to think about because there's a million different types of par- t- kinds of parents and parenting choices, and I had to choose just a few to talk about in this book. The, any other family is is an intense book at times uh, that it's full of emotion and you know there's a, a roller coaster journey of ups and downs and and trials and tribulations and you know the 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 daily challenges of parenting um, amplified by this unique situation that they're in um, also sprinkled throughout the book are moments of levity and um, moments where you know after talking to you for a while I I kind of sense your personal sense of humor and your um, lighthearted way of looking at the world that that bleeds into the book in places. Um, w- was that ever a conscious uh, uh, effort on your part to, you know, to say, wow, that this has been really intense for a while. I need to lighten the mood a little bit, let the reader off the hook, so to speak, for for a minute, um, so that when the next thing happens, it's more impactful uh or is this just you coming out on the page uh yes (laughs) i was a little bit of both so this is so this is a funny story so when um we got uh blurbs you know other author recommendations for the weird sisters um one of them i can't remember the whole quote but the one that the pull quote that they use for the the cover is just hilarious and I was like, hilarious. This book isn't funny. <laughs> and then I went out on the road and started doing readings from it. And people were laughing. And I was like, oh, I guess it is funny. Um, and so then with The Light of Paris, which is a heavier book, I right. intentionally, like I did what I called a funny draft, where I went through and sort of tried to punch up the humor in it a lot. Um, and I did that in this one as well. So Um, I gave one of the characters, I give Elizabeth my sense of humor. Um, And so every time she has a chapter, there's, there's humor in it because the, the book alternates sort of between those three points of view. Um, And then sometimes I think there's just humor in, because it's so easy to see what other people are doing wrong, you know what I mean? And so... There's there's humor that comes from just looking at the what the, the decisions these people are making sometimes being like, well, that's a lousy idea, Tabitha. <laughs> um, so uh, so, yeah, it was intentional on my part, I think, partially because after I realized that the Weird Sisters, the people thought the Weird Sisters was funny. I was like, oh, I guess this is part of the appeal. Right. Um, and you always want to try to um, Mary Kay Andrews, who's uh, a wonderful writer. Yes. Um, talks about how you always try to you're like a painter right and you're 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 bringing the light and the dark together because they reveal each other and so that's that's uh, definitely part of what I had to do here because there are people who really want to read 
depressing books and I'm not one of them. Like I know everybody loves that book, A Little Life. Yeah. Um, and I read a plot summary of it and I was like, this sounds like the worst way to spend an afternoon. <laughs> but that's just, and this is why it's so wonderful that that there's so much breadth in publishing right, right now because right. there's a book for everybody. I could not handle that, but there are so many people who just love it and, you know, more power to them. Absolutely. Well, Eleanor, if uh, if someone picks up any other family and and they fall into the story when they close that back cover mm-hmm. and they they finish the book, what do you hope that they're left with? I really hope that people who read the story are left with an understanding that adoption adoption and adoptive families don't necessarily look the way they thought they did, Um, that they are just as complex and wonderful and painful and um, beautiful as any other family. Any other family available everywhere now when you're hearing this, we're going to put links to it in the show notes. Uh, to make it easy for you to uh, to click over and uh, and get it from Amazon in whatever format you prefer uh, best, or go visit your local bookstores. Be sure to uh, to uh, support local books, and uh, any other family should be in every bookstore when you're hearing this. Uh, Eleanor, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, where can they find you online? Um, so they can actually only find me on my website. I am I am no longer on social media, which I had to do for my own sanity. But um, I get it. <laughs> uh, but you can go to my website, which is Eleanor-Brown.com, E-L-E-A-N-O-R-Brown.com, um, and kind of poke around there. And as you said, like if you really want to hang out with me, you can hang out with me and my books because my my sense of humor is always in there. Excellent. We'll put the link uh, to the website in the show notes. And uh, Eleanor, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. We're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of Any Other Family. Thank you so much, Hank. It's great to talk to you.